Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host. So nice to have you here. I know that I say that so often that it probably begins to seem like just something I repeat every week by muscle memory. But no, it's true. I'm, I really am glad to have you here. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to the show. There's so many options out there nowadays. Uh, in fact, mankind has never had so many choices about what we can do with our time, right? I'm not sure it's a good thing. I'm not convinced that the days when we only had three channels on television was a bad thing. That might have been a great thing. Most of y'all know that I'm a big movie buff. And uh, I really, really love movies. I'm, I'm not big into TV. But I really like movies. And I like movie history. And I like knowing all the details about you know what went into a film, what the actors were going through, uh, things that happened behind the scenes and that sort of thing. But, you know, it's different today than it was 20, 30 years ago. It used to be you'd have to go and you'd have to get a disc or you'd have to go get a VCR tape. Now, when I was really little, I remember having to wait for movies to re-release at the theater. In fact, uh, I still have a memory. I think I was probably three or four years old of going to see a re-release of Song of the South. Disney's Song of the South, you know, with Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear and Uncle Remus. Uh, of course, you can't find that anywhere now because uh, <laughs> times have changed. Times have changed. Uh, not everybody today looks upon that movie as, as being fit for today's audiences. But, you know, I, when I saw it as a kid, it, I loved that movie. I loved Uncle Remus. I loved the, the characters. I don't ever remember walking out of the movie uh, having felt indoctrinated <laughs> to hate anybody or, or to look down on anybody or anything like that. But, you know, whatever. My point is, you know, movies used to be a lot harder. You know, you'd go and see it at the theater. And then unless the, the network stations on TV broadcast it, that, that was it. You'd, that's all you got to see it. Now... Literally any movie I want, uh, I just go on to Vudu or I go on to Apple or I go on to uh, Amazon. And for four bucks, I can rent it. Sometimes I can rent it for two bucks. So we're living in this age where there's this overabundance of access to things. You know, when I sit down to watch a movie now, I spend sometimes an hour just trying to decide what movie I want to see because I can see all of them. So the overabundance of options is not always 
I think, a constructive thing. And besides that, once you get a movie playing, then you're texting on your phone, you're reading the news, you're doing 19 other different things. But anyway, I digress. The point is, I'm so happy that, you've, that you choose to listen to the Last Symptom podcast. And uh, when I tell you, I'm so happy to see you here every week. It might sound robotic. It might sound like, like I'm just spitting it out. But no, I, I mean it. I mean it. I, I never take it for granted. Never take you guys for granted. So I really appreciate having you here. Now, if you'll remember, last week, I cut out early, played hooky in the evening, and went to meet up with my buddy, Brian Lambert, on his boat, and we went out fishing. And we stayed out late. But there's a story that I got to tell you guys <laughs> that uh, you might enjoy, <laughs> depending on who you are. But if you've ever doubted that I'm just a regular guy, like I always tell you, this should put that to rest. <laughs> so we're, we're out on Brian's boat, and uh, we've gone all over the lake. We're, we've been down on one end. We've been down on the other end. We've been on everywhere in between. And we passed this area that is a new dock, a new place that they've uh, created in that lake for kayakers to bring their kayaks down to the water and to get in their kayaks. As we're driving through, Lambert points it out to me. Hey, look, that's the new kayak loading ramp. And I said, oh, that's nice. Well, as we go through, there's nobody there. I mean, it's as barren as can be. Not, not a soul on that beach area where the kayaks, where the kayak loading dock is. And I kind of took note of that. There's nobody there. Boy, we really got the whole kind of the whole lake to ourselves. This is kind of nice. And Lambert had his uh, son with him. And his son's 12, about to turn 13. He fished with us for a little bit, but then he started getting bored. And he had a little Game Boy, or I don't know what they're called these days. Uh, do they call them Game Boys? Anyway, he's playing with the Game Boy and everything while Brian and I are fishing. And he starts to get bored. And this is right about the time it's getting dark. And he says, uh, Dad, I, I'm bored. You know, I want to go. I, I don't want to fish no more. And Brian says, and I, I, I told you that we were going to be out here fishing for a while, Grant. And Grant says, well, I know, but I, I just I'm tired. I don't want to fish no more. So Lambert says, T tell you what, listen, you get on the phone with your mom. And if she's willing to come pick you up. What we'll do is we'll, we'll take you over, we'll drop you off at that kayak loading ramp. I can pull the boat right up there and let you off. And Grant says, all right. So he gets on the cell phone there, <laughs> calls up his mom. I can hear him talking. It's like the, uh, the Peanuts teacher voice, you know. He says, all right, uh. Mom says she's going to be over there in 15 minutes. And Brian Lambert, my buddy, says, Now, Grant, you tell her that she needs to call when she gets there because I'm not pulling this boat around until I know she's there. So Grant relays the message. And uh, Tiffany, the mom, she says, All right, we keep fishing for a bit. Suddenly the phone rings again, and it's Tiffany. She says, I'm here. Come drop him off. So we pull in the, our fishing lines, sit down in the boat, and Brian starts driving the boat around to where Grant's mom's waiting for him to pick him up. 
Well, <laughs> this loading dock, this loading dock for the kayaks, is around a, a curve that is obscured by trees. And as the boat is get, as we're getting closer to that, for some reason, I get this bright idea in my head. <laughs> I, <laughs> I just get this image in my head of what it would look like from from Grant's mom's perspective if she's standing there on the shore <laughs> and our boat comes around the curve <laughs> and what kind of reaction she might have if she sees me standing in the boat mooning her. Now, for all you people who aren't... Uh, who don't speak American English. I don't even know if this term, you know, I'm, I'm ignorant as to whether this term exists outside the U.S. But when we say that we're mooning somebody, it means we're pulling our pants down and, and showing them our butt. So, <laughs> you see, you know, teenagers will do this sometimes. They'll hang their butt out a car window or something <laughs> just for kicks. You know, it's just a, a practical joke type thing. So anyway, I get this idea. You know, I'm 45 years old. I haven't mooned anybody in... <laughs> oh, man. I haven't mooned anybody in a, in a while, all right? Let's just say. But I get this, this bright idea, all right? The boat's going to come around the curve. <laughs> and Tiffany, standing there on the, on the shore, is going to see this boat come around the curve. Brrr, with me standing in the back wiggling my butt at her <laughs> so i tell lambert my buddy just to kind of get his blessing before i do it i said i'm going to moon your wife <laughs> he says well you got to do what you got to do and so i drop my britches and i poke my white butt out there <laughs> And I'm wiggling it all over creation, laughing to myself. You know, I'm turned around. I'm, I'm not facing the beach. And, oh, man, I'm just putting on a, a big old show, giving it at my all there, trying to make it really count. And uh, now we've come around this curve. We're pulling up to the beach. <laughs> and I turn around. That beach is loaded with people. There must have been 90 people standing on that beach. <laughs> And every one of them can see my butt. I mean, there's couples walking hand in hand. There's boyfriends, girlfriends. There's entire families with their kids. And I thought, what is this? What is going on here? We just come through here. There's nobody there. And it's it's almost dark. There shouldn't be more people. There should be no people. And uh, my goodness, I didn't know what to do. I... <laughs> So I just played it off like, nope, you guys didn't see anything. Do, do, do. I pull up my pants and I take a seat and I just play totally stupid. Like I, I didn't do anything. Now, Brian, this is something I didn't even take into consideration. You know, he's not just going by there. He's pulling right up to the beach. And there, I mean, I'm telling you, there are loads of people all standing like right on the shore there. So everybody who's seen me now do this is standing right there like maybe 10 feet away from the boat and uh man i'm just i'm just playing or i actually what i went to do is i went to change a lure on my on my fishing line i just I said well i better get busy with something so i'm not making eye contact with all these people oh my goodness and every time i look up there's these people staring at me with these big grins on their faces and uh, 
I wish I could describe the look on these people's faces. The, the couple that was closest to the boat was like a girlfriend and a boyfriend, and they're looking at me like I'm some kind of celebrity with this goofy grin on their face. And uh, I just, like I say, I just completely paid it, played it off. Nope, you guys didn't see what you think you see, saw. I didn't do nothing. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I just played it straight like that. And as we're pulling away, uh, Tiffany goes, hey, they all saw your ass. <laughs> oh, brother. Oh, brother. That's what you get when you're in your mid-40s and you decide to do some kind of 20-year-old stuff. Really backfired on me. Uh, boy, I laughed and laughed about that. <laughs> Especially every time I, I remember the look on that <laughs> the look on that couple's face, the boyfriend and the girlfriend standing there with that look on their face like, why is this guy? Like, oh my goodness, this guy. This guy's got some nards on him. <laughs> Oh, man, I wish there was a video of that, because that was funny. <laughs> that was straight out of a movie right there. Oh, coming around the curve thinking you're mooning an empty beach. He turn around, there's <laughs> it's like a small convention going on there. Oh, brother. So, anyway, besides that, the fishing trip was great. We, we did catch some fish, and uh, we had a good time. We dumped... Grant off and uh, continued fishing until, man, I don't think we got out of there until about midnight, but it was fun. It was just fun to hang out with my buddy and to have the lake, <laughs> if not the kayak dock, completely to ourselves. It was, a, it was a very nice evening. So that brings you up to date on that. Now we've got a lot to talk about, so let's get on with it. One of the... Uh, things I wanted to tell you folks is that I've been uploading my backpacking videos uh, just my personal backpacking videos my my wilderness and backcountry videos to the last symptom official YouTube channel now these videos have nothing to do whatsoever with the topic of my work and they got nothing to do with borderline personality disorder they got nothing to do with emotional health uh, recovery or anything like that so you might be asking yourself, well, why are you even uploading them? Well, I'm uploading them because it's a way for me to be personable, more personable with my audience. So you guys hear me talk about all these things. And if you're curious about what that looks like, you know, so you want to see me out in the woods, uh, this is your chance. So if you go to the official YouTube channel and you go into playlists, then I've put all of these backcountry wilderness videos of mine, and I will be putting more, into a playlist that's called Backcountry Slash Wilderness. So they're all there by themselves. Uh, I've also created a playlist for Orson, so you guys can continue to see videos of him and his growing up and his, his experiences there in his own playlist. Of course, there's a playlist for supplemental material. All season two episodes of this podcast are in a, a dedicated season two playlist. Uh, guests have their special playlist. Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to tell you that, that I'm putting those videos up, up there. And that I realize <laughs> that, uh, you know, they're not informative as far as recovery, authentic recovery goes and 
you know, gaining insights about emotional unhealth. But, you know, I'm completely aware of that. I'm putting them on there anyway. I just don't want you to think that I accidentally uploaded those videos to the wrong channel or something. About <clears throat> almost three years ago, I wrote an article that I posted online. And it has sat there for almost three years getting hardly any attention whatsoever. Well, something happened. Somebody come across it and shared it, and it's kind of going semi-viral online. And I thought that I'd share it with you here today in audio format. The article was a response to the question, is there any record of people in centuries past who wrote about wanting to see the year 2000 and what they imagined it would be like. And here's the article that I wrote. How about the incredible true story of young Annie Lamont, the 21-year-old sorting clerk? Let me take you back to 1921. This is when the Dundee Postal Workers War Memorial Shrine time capsule included, was put together to commemorate postal staff involved in the First World War. The contents of the capsule remained secret for 93 years until it was opened on August 4, 2014. One poignant and insightful letter by the aforementioned Annie Lamont was found inside. Annie speaks of life in her present from a girl's perspective in 1921 and wonders aloud about the next 100 years, our present. Annie was eventually found floating in a river having committed suicide. Here is the letter she wrote to us here in the future. I'm including only the portions I personally find most interesting. You may want to check out the full letter yourself by doing a bit of research online, and let me tell you, it won't be easy. I can't remember how I originally come across this story, but I do remember that when I went to confirm that it was a true story and to find more details about it, I had to search pretty hard. Eventually, I did confirm that the story was true, and I even found screenshots of Annie's original letters. Here are some highlights of what she had to say. You who read this may do so with a great wonder that life was so different in 1921 to what it is in 2021. I cannot visualize what changes will have taken place in 100 years, but that the changes will be vast and far-reaching, there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever. What the future holds for us, God alone knows, as the whole economic system of the country is absolutely in chaos. This last war was to end war. Never was there such a futile hope, and I predict another in ghastlier Armageddon before many years have fled. Wireless telegraphy, while making most marvelous progress, is, I believe, still in its infancy and possibly in your day 
even that wonderful discovery will have been superseded by something even more startling and revolutionary. With regard to the social side of our life, men take great interest in sport, golf being prime favorite, while the women are not far behind, and golf and play tennis and swim. In the winter, we go to lectures, concerts, and as many theaters as we can afford, while classes on various subjects are well attended. The vote has been granted to women within the last five years, and we are very keen about voting. And indeed, most of the women in this office are very anxious to see Winston Churchill turned out of his seat at the next general election. Miss Winterbotham and Lady Astor are our only representatives in Parliament at present, but we hope there will be a Lady Premier before 2021. Living in this extraordinary, ever-changing world as we do today, just recovering from the horrors of a most bloody war, with disaster in Ireland, strife in India, and great and terrible discontent at home, our views of many things are naturally changing with the swift, moving events of a terrible epoch. Though our lives apparently go on in the same routine, we are fully and deeply conscious that life in 1921 is fraught with terrible things and that every day shows new and terrible possibilities springing up from the soil of a ruined civilization. What does the future hold for the telegraph clerk and the whole world? You know the answer to that question. You who read this and I wonder if the millennium has really come in your day, if happiness and peace has at last come to the ravished nations of the world, or whether you too are straining tired eyes towards the future and saying, what next? It seems to me that the progress of civilization is no progress at all while we devote all the gifts of science to slay our fellow creature and that no permanent good can ever be achieved if we forget the divine in man. But surely the world will learn its lesson one day. The great lesson that the things of this world are as not, while the things of the spirit are everlasting. Let us hope that Browning's beautiful words will come true and that we will emerge one day. So there it is, a letter that young Annie Lamont wrote to us here in the present 100 years ago. Today's main topic, I'm working to recover from borderline personality disorder, but problems persist. Why? Good question. You've had epiphany after epiphany since you discovered The Last Symptom. You frequently listen to The Last Symptom Weekly free podcast. And you keep notes. Puzzle pieces have been coming together for you, and you're beginning to understand your emotional disorder more insightfully than you ever have before. And yet, many frustrations and problems in your life continue to persist. What could be going on? When are you going to start experiencing the positive, natural consequences of good emotional health? 
Well, there are several possible reasons for why the effects of emotional unhealth continue to persist in your life. This episode of The Last Symptom is meant to help you identify what might be happening in your personal circumstances, and if correctable, to then correct it. Number one, you haven't hit rock bottom, which is just another way of saying you haven't achieved the correct type and the proper measure of motivation. Think of any personal goal you've ever set that uh, you were successful in. For me, besides authentically ridding myself of borderline personality disorder, an example of this was becoming fluent in Spanish. I, for myself, deeply wanted to achieve this. If the forces motivating me had been anything external, external, I would never have accomplished my goal. Why not? Well, because there were too many influences and factors encouraging me at all times to give up or quit or never start at all. You know, none of my friends were learning the language with me. So it wasn't like a bunch of my friends said, hey, we're going to do this. And I hopped on board. No, this was something that I had decided to do for myself. And I had nobody to do it with. You know, that's a real identifier right there for motives. If you can't find anybody else who will do it with you, and yet you still do it, <laughs> uh, then it's probably because you really want to do it. So none of my friends were learning the language with me. And, you know, learning the language required me to give up massive amounts of time and attention towards other things and sacrificing to do hard, lonely work. So I might eh, feel like doing something else. I might feel like going somewhere else. I might be invited to things. And often... I would have to sacrifice and say no because I needed time to sit down and study the language. It was a great sacrifice. I endured ridicule early on when I failed to progress as fast as others thought I should be progressing or whenever I was put on the spot to say a word in Spanish and I couldn't do it from memory. You know, I'd People knew that I was trying to learn Spanish. So they'd put me on the spot. Hey, how's that Spanish going? How do you say, uh, I don't know, uh, firefly in Spanish? And then I'd have to come up with the word, luciérnaga. But, you know, early on, <laughs> we're talking about a hundred words may sound like a lot of words to know. It's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. It takes a long time to acquire an enormous language bank or, you know, an enormous vocabulary bank. I didn't live in an area with any Spanish speakers when I started learning the language, nor did I work in a field at that time where there was any sort of advantage uh, to me for speaking a second language. 
everybody around me thought I was completely wasting my time. Now, at the risk of offending some people, which is not my intent, it's relevant to tell you that I can always tell when a person has learned his or her Spanish from a school or university because their Spanish is consistently and undeniably far inferior to those who have learned on their own outside of a school setting. And my theory for why this is so is that the very nature of learning in a school setting redirects focus from learning for the purpose of learning to learning for the purpose of achieving a grade and for other external motivating factors. And so, you know, this relates to what we're talking about here as far as motivation goes. And it also relates to something that I've told you about in the past called the law of minimal effort, which basically describes how we as people do not invest any energy or time beyond the energy and time required to achieve our true primary objective. So, for example, if, you're, if your primary objective is only to convince people that you speak Spanish well, then that's all you learn. You learn enough to convince people who don't know any better that you speak Spanish well. You do not put in the work to actually learn to speak the language well. Well, imagine the sort of motivation I was feeling that empowered me to consistently, day after day, no matter what anybody else was doing, and no matter what anybody else thought of me, to set aside the time, attention, and effort required over many years to learn a language fluently. I developed a real enthusiasm and thrill in it, and I began to truly enjoy the work. It was motivation that I myself was generating from within myself, independent of any external factors. It was something I was doing for myself because I myself wanted it regardless of what anybody else thought. For authentically and permanently escaping any emotional disorder like borderline personality disorder, no motivation less than this type, that is genuine motivation, will do. So you yourself must do some serious soul searching and ask yourself, what is truly motivating me? Am I trying to get healthy because I want people to like me better? Am I trying to hang on to a girlfriend or a boyfriend? Is my wife nagging me to do this? Am I working under the threat of a divorce? These are examples of external sources of motivation, which means they aren't real. External motivation is not real motivation. Because, you see, as external factors ebb and flow, appear, evolve, disappear, change, so will your interest and attention in becoming healthy. So only genuine motivation, that is, motivation that you tap into within yourself for reasons that are entirely divorced from anything external, that are born from you simply wanting a thing for yourself, only this type of motivation 
can get you to the finish line of authentic recovery. Nothing less will do. Imagine a person who's been in a terrible car accident. What is his or her motivation for doing the physical therapy necessary to walk again? Now imagine this person. They've been healthy all their life. Now they've been in this terrible car accident. They have to learn to walk all over again. Does he or she have to be convinced into wanting to walk again? Is his or her desire to walk again dependent on what other people want or think or are doing or not doing? As a professional Spanish interpreter on medical staff for 16 years in hospitals, I have watched people doing the grueling work of physical and occupational therapy day after day for months and sometimes for years to be able to walk again or to be able to use their hands again. And believe me, they don't care what anybody else wants. The thing powering them is genuine motivation, a desire born from what they themselves want for themselves, regardless of anything external. How do you tap into that type of motivation? Well, there's two ways people manage to do this. Number one, they choose it. And number two, they choose it. Now, maybe you think I hiccuped there, but no. In both cases, it comes down to a person simply choosing it, but with slight differences between number one and number two. Number one... A person may choose it willingly and spontaneously and possibly avoid lots of pain. Number two, a person may choose it out of desperation because of immense pain. So this is where the phenomenon of hitting rock bottom comes in. Hidden rock bottom is merely a mechanism that leads some people to finally choose to tap into the genuine motivation needed for authentic recovery. It often occurs when we are finally allowed to fully suffer the naturally occurring painful consequences that are simply a natural result of our unhealthy, distorted thinking. One result of this can be that an individual makes up his or her mind that he or she is willing to do whatever it takes to understand and correct the underlying problem so as to never again suffer from the same causes. Now notice that I have not said that hitting rock bottom is a guaranteed way to achieve the genuine motivation needed for recovery, only that it gives a person the best opportunity to achieve it. Remember, we all have different levels of pain tolerance, Some of us are willing to suffer every negative consequence imaginable and yet still stubbornly cling to living life the way in which they are most familiar and comfortable. Some people's rock bottom is death, unfortunately. The actor and comedian Chris Farley went to rehab dozens of times, but his eventual rock bottom was a fatal overdose on an apartment floor. Very sad. All right, number two, 
about what might be happening in regards to problems persisting in your life. Number two, one still enjoys the benefits. Uh, that's, that's in air quotes because there are no benefits to being emotionally unhealthy. But one still enjoys the imaginary benefits of being emotionally unhealthy too much. This really just involves a reluctance to put forth the effort to leave behind what is most familiar and comfortable. Recently, somebody admitted to me that she worries about being lonely after recovery, as if becoming emotionally healthy will mean difficulty finding other emotionally healthy people whose company she'll really enjoy. Well, I had to remind her that she's already lonely. In fact, she's never not been lonely. Borderline personality disorder makes it impossible for her to experience things like authentic intimacy, true empathy, and genuine love. So she's worrying that emotional health will result in something that she has already been dealing with for her entire life, whether she's aware of it or not. She has never experienced a true state of being not lonely. Only by leaving emotional unhealth behind and becoming emotionally healthy will she ever be able to truly experience the opposite, the true opposite of loneliness. Others have expressed the concern that they'll not be able to enjoy or be interested in doing many of the same things they enjoy now. Some enjoy sensual sex, for example, and they imagine possibly losing the sensuality, and they imagine a life after recovery as being dull and boring. As I have explained many times in this show, it's so very rarely the thing itself which can be classified as healthy or unhealthy. Rather, it is the underlying, motivating forces behind that thing. Currently, for emotionally unhealthy people, these motivating forces are being born from unhealthy factors. Authentic recovery will mean that you will enjoy sex as much as you ever have, and you'll still enjoy great sensuality if you want to. However, the motivating forces creating a desire for sex will not be born from unhealthy factors such as the never-ending need for external validation or the belief that your value is dependent on external things such as whose attention you can win over or the people you can sleep with or how many people you can sleep with. The desire for sex will stop being a form of compensating for profound lifelong intimacy deficiency. Only good things come from becoming emotionally healthy. Number three, one may unconsciously or subconsciously believe privately that achieving authentic recovery is impossible for them. Authentic recovery means completely ridding oneself of a disorder permanently once and for all. Here's why number three is so powerful. As human beings, we are incapable of generating genuine motivation for any effort that we secretly perceive is ultimately a total waste of time. Let me repeat that. As human beings, we are incapable of generating 
genuine motivation for any effort that we secretly perceive is ultimately a total waste of time. So imagine a coach in a locker room during halftime of an important game. He's trying to motivate his team to go out and really give it their all. But also imagine that the members of his team all privately, they're all sitting there privately thinking that the game that they're going out to play is unwinnable. Now notice, they don't simply believe that they are unlikely to win, but that the game is impossible to win. Can you see that there's absolutely nothing the coach can do as long as his team privately believes the game is unwinnable to motivate them into truly going out and approaching the game with the right spirit, they might fake enthusiasm, and they might even be able to tap into momentary spurts of enthusiasm. But as long as they secretly believe that their objective is unattainable, any enthusiasm that they're able to muster will be temporary and fleeting. So what does the coach have to first do? He has to first convince them that the game is indeed winnable. That winning is truly a real possibility that they aren't wasting their time and effort. You know, they might still lose, but the possibility of losing does not block one's ability to tap into genuine motivation. Only the perception that one is involved in an impossible task makes genuine motivation impossible. So now perhaps you're beginning to understand my disgust with the professional community in general for creating and reinforcing the notion over and over and over and over again that things like borderline personality disorder are incurable and that the best its sufferers can hope for is to learn coping strategies or to focus exclusively on its symptoms rather than on its causes. By doing this, they enslave thousands, if not millions, of people to the false notion that any attempts toward authentic recovery are going to ultimately be a waste of time and effort. It's no wonder at all why so many people go into recovery already defeated and the professional community as a group, unfortunately, is complicit in this. Number four, recovery takes time. Maybe a person is just not allowing for the time that is needed and is being overly harsh with himself or herself or being unreasonable with his or her expectations. Remember, it took me at least seven years to go from living with borderline personality disorder, completely unaware, to finally being free of it authentically. So, your situation may be like a person who weighs 300 pounds who begins a diet, and because they don't fit into their bikini after the first week of dieting, they begin to feel like it's all a lost cause. The person may simply need to adjust their expectations to something more accurate and reasonable and move the bikini fitting further down the calendar. Number five, just because we begin to live differently does not mean the consequences of our past thinking and behaviors are not still in motion. 
consequences may still continue to catch up with us long after we're doing things differently. And do you know what? Healthy people accept the consequences gracefully. Now, accepting the consequences gracefully only means that they do it with grace. It doesn't mean that they enjoy the consequences. There ain't too many consequences of emotional unhealth that are in any way enjoyable. But we recognize that these consequences are a natural result of our, our past erroneous thinking or our past erroneous actions, and that these consequences have either caught up to us or they've not yet run their full course, and we accept this. For example, parents, your children may continue to hate you for years. This might be a natural consequence of your past unhealthy thinking or perspectives and behaviors, the way you treated them. Although we're fixing it, the consequences don't simply disappear. It's important, then, to accept that our kids have a right to feel the way they feel. We can regret our part in that, keep working and focusing on ourselves, and hope that in time we will begin to see the positive consequences of our new healthy efforts and lifestyles. This may include forgiveness from our children and the repair of our relationship with them. It may. Or maybe we're still dealing with some of the legal ramifications of our past, destructive attitudes and thinking. These things also will just have to run their course. Perhaps it's still necessary for us, for the time being, to continue having dealings with other unhealthy people, like an ex-wife with whom we share children, or older parents who we're partly responsible for taking care of. These things can bring with them some frustrations and challenges. But, as with all things in authentic recovery, these circumstances are an opportunity for what? They're an opportunity to truly put into action the things you are learning and to make adjustments. Each quote-unquote failure is an opportunity to tweak the way you handle any situation and make adjustments in your perspectives. So never look at these things as anything other than the wonderful opportunities they are to strengthen your authentic recovery and make great strides forward. This is where real recovery happens. Taking the things you're learning and putting them into action. Testing them in the real world while making constructive observations and adjustments. Sounds a lot like learning a new language, doesn't it? Well, it is a lot like that. You can do it. So never get discouraged. Find out where the trouble is, tweak it, and move on. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the main program today. I want to tell you, the Last Symptom Fundamentals course is all but full. I'm going to leave the class open up until probably Saturday or Sunday morning. So there's still time to reserve your spot in the class if you'd like to do that. We've got an amazingly diverse class this time around. I'm so excited about the different types of people we have in this course, people from different backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, all different types of life. 
And I can't wait to see them mingle and make friends with each other and draw close. And uh, it's going to be really a thrill for me to, uh, to host this class. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And it begins on Monday, August 17th, so just a few days away. Ugh, what a time we're going to have. I haven't told you about it yet, but uh, thelastsymptom.com is my website full of free resources that I'm adding to as often as I can. I want to invite you to go over there and visit that website. If you'd like to support my work with a donation, that would be very welcome. My hands have been so full here lately that I have not had the opportunity to personally thank some people for their, their donations. I really hope that all of you who have done so are listening to this show today because I want to tell you how grateful I am. Maybe you're thinking, of course he's grateful. You gave him money. Well, yes, but it allows me to continue this work. So I'm grateful for many different reasons, but mostly the fact that I get to do this show, I get to write the articles that I write, I get to deal with the people that I deal with and try to help them. Uh, is all a direct result, I mean a direct, immediate result of the donations that come through thelastsymptom.com. And, and most of the donations, I'll tell you, are very modest. I never take for granted a single one of them, even so. So once more, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. It is very, very much appreciated. Well, folks, I hope you have a wonderful week, and especially a wonderful weekend. This is Brian Barnett signing off, as always. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.